Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. In this week's Trending News EU episode, we're going to discuss a few recent newsworthy items we think healthcare leaders should be considering. I'm here with Dynamic's Jack Young and Ali May to talk about what's trending now. The one story that really caught our eye was some multi-million pound funding for genomics research. Thousands of children are born in the UK every year with a treatable rare condition that could be easily detected using genome sequencing. For those of you that are not aware of genome sequencing, it's the process whereby you determine the entirety or nearly the entirety of the DNA sequence of an organism's genome at a single time. Now, most rare disorders and are genetic, and children less than five are unfortunately disproportionately affected. And genomic testing has become the main way of providing a diagnosis. However, this is only in certain cases. But the good news is that children with these diseases are now set to benefit from earlier diagnosis and faster access to treatment through £175 million worth of funding announced by the UK Health Secretary. Jack, this seems like an incredible study in the UK, and I read that over 100,000 babies are going to have their genome sequenced over the course of the study, which will really enable us to gather evidence and see if this is something that should be rolled out across the country in the future, that perhaps every single baby that's born in the UK could have their, their genome sequenced. I also thought it'd be interesting to see if anyone does a post hoc analysis in the future on this data. It's an opportunity for a huge observational study as well to look back on those 100,000 babies and see if there are any diseases that the patients end up developing that are aligned to, to their genomes. I also saw that the UK Health Secretary announced another 26 million to support a cancer program that was also looking at genomic sequencing and another 22 million for the sequencing of 25,000 non-European ancestry participants. So this seems to be an area, Jack, that's receiving huge government funding at the moment, and it'd be great to see the UK become a leader in globally. So with all this research and funding that's going into this, Jack, what are some of the, the pros and cons of the UK targeting genomic sequencing? No other countries offer newborn whole genome sequencing. And as you said, the UK has a real opportunity to become a leader in this space. And when we think about some of the pros and the cons, you know, tests for conditions, you know, you're going to have a lot more tests available now as part of an advantage of this new measure. You know, patients are only currently offered a blood spot test for only nine conditions. It's also going to give some really rich data and insights for scientists around the world for genetic predictors of health. On the flip side, and some of the cons, there's a big ethics question around this, and it's very sensitive, particularly for the UK and for people around the world around doing this type of testing. It's also less accurate than biochemical tests, and it costs quite a lot. It costs over £1,000 per genome. So some pros and cons there, but I think it's really exciting, this development, that money's been made available, and particularly for children. You know, you always have a more emotive reaction when children get horrible conditions, and this funding can really help move us forward in a direction that's positive to help improve patient outcomes. Another benefit to this, Jack, will be you say it costs £1,000 per genome at the moment to do but if we can create an industry and, and test 100,000 babies you know hopefully that cost will come down in the future and this can become more accessible in the UK but also other countries can benefit from that. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ollie. It's it's so exciting, and and hopefully it will become more affordable and become the mainstay for treatment. And I know you've you've been following a story related to a young girl called Alyssa, and I'd love to hear more about this particular individual and her treatment journey. Yeah, really a, an amazing story, also in the UK, and this this time gene editing rather than genomic testing. But Alyssa was a thirteen-year-old British girl. She had leukemia. She previously had undergone chemotherapy and bone marrow transplants and all the existing treatments for leukemia, which unfortunately were unsuccessful, as well as obviously having huge impacts on the quality of life on the patients. Doctors had described her condition as incurable and she was entered into a, a clinical trial. Now, this she was the first patient in the world to have a base editing treatment and researchers used genetically modified T cells and these cells specifically targeted the cancer in Alyssa's blood. And so Alyssa received this treatment. And after just 28 days, she was in remission. She received another bone marrow transplant to restore her immune system. And we've just reached six months on from her receiving the treatment in December. And her leukemia is now undetectable. So as I said, first patient ever to have received this base editing gene treatment. Without this clinical trial, Alyssa's only option really was palliative care. So it really shows the incredible potential of this treatment to save and change patient lives. Ollie, this is such a heartwarming story. So emotive. It's so nice to see that she's now in remission and doesn't have to go into palliative care. What an incredible story. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'll just share with our listeners just some of the technologies behind this, which is called gene-based editing. And essentially it allows existing genes in the cell to be removed or new ones added to perform certain functions. And you've probably heard of CAR-T therapy. It's a very popular therapy, albeit a very expensive one. That wouldn't have worked in this case because this particular condition is T-cell leukemia, and it would contradict with the T-cells within the leukemia cancer. So this new technique really helped in this case through the gene-based editing to be able to modify those cancer cells to hunt them and not conflict with the other T-cells. So really an amazing treatment option, particularly in this case with Alyssa, and it will be really exciting to see how gene-based editing evolves in the coming months and years to help more patients get into remission. Gene-based editing also has applications in other areas. It can be used in new medicines, agricultural products, and indeed genetically modified organisms. And it also has some applications in healthcare. And I think, Ollie, you're going to share with us some further details around that. Yeah, I think the potential for gene editing across all industries and many, many functions is really incredible. The ability to edit a gene and to enable it to perform a certain function I'm sure you can think of many, many uses for that. So some of the studies in healthcare and clinical trials that caught my attention is a blindness trial looking at modifying the defective gene in a patient's eye. Uh, in China, obviously, lung cancer due to poor air quality is a huge issue for them at the moment. And they are taking cells from patients with lung cancer, editing the genes, and then administering them back to the patients to try and target that. And then there's really clinical trials underway with many other cancers. We have underway with HIV, with diabetes. It really is an extraordinary technology with huge impacts potentially across healthcare. Jack and Ali, it's so exciting to hear about the progress and advancement that's happening with genomic sequencing and gene editing clinical trials within the UK market. 
on the flip side of that, one thing that is perhaps on the horizon to hinder some healthcare technology advancements is the European Commission's transition to the medical devices regulation. That's something that we've been following closely here in the States, just given the impact that it could have on the portfolios of medical device companies here abroad. But I think there's been some recent developments that I would love, Ali, if you could take us through what's next on this MDR transition. Absolutely. So this has been something the European Union has been working on for, for a while now, as you said, Jen, and the European Commission is pushing ahead with plans to extend the deadline for transitioning to what they call the medical devices regulation or, or MDR. And the reason that they're extending the deadline is they're admitting that at the moment, the body doesn't have the capacity to ensure that all manufacturers can, can transition onto the new regulation. So the new deadline is 2027 or 2028, depending on how risky the medical device is deemed to be. Yeah, this is a really interesting development. And for those of you who are not aware that the MDR is a set of regulations that governs the production and distribution of medical devices across Europe. The compliance is mandatory for medical device companies that want to sell their products in the European marketplace. So the transition period for these regulations has been longer than originally anticipated. And that's due to several factors, including the COVID-19 pandemic, shortages of raw materials, caused by the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. And that's put a real strain on market readiness. And this strain has resulted in a number of medical device manufacturers withdrawing their products from the market and taking steps to reduce their product portfolio. It's a real shame. It's reducing innovation. It's going to lead to a lot of costs for these different companies. And compliance and regulation can often give you strain, but we need to make sure that this is more streamlined in the future to make sure these products get out there in the market and ultimately impact and improve uh, patient lives. Yeah, it really is, I guess, from a European Commission perspective, not a favorable situation where we know that companies are pulling products from the market because of this regulation. We really, really want to ensure in Europe that patients are getting the latest and greatest medical devices. This is obviously an area with huge technological progress at the moment. The focus will be on the European Commission to see how they deal with this going on and to ensure that as a regulatory body, they are enabling companies to deliver the best treatments to patients and not acting as a hindrance. I think another unfavorable situation that we've been monitoring closely has to relate to the NHS and the waiting lists in England for healthcare. And I believe recently, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had some remarks just on that situation. Yes, he did, uh, Jen. I mean, he, he's asked people to hold him to account if NHS waiting lists in England do not fall in the next two years. It's actually been one of five pledges he set out in his first major speech of 2023, amongst other things such as the economy and uh, migration. But Mr. Sunak and others, we're really facing challenges this winter, including you know, this wave of strike action that's engulfed us, the cost of living crisis and the huge pressure that we see on the health service, things like bed capacity and, of course, social care. And Ollie, we really need action now, don't we, to try and tackle this, this huge problem that we currently face. Precisely, Jack. I think that's been the reaction to Sunak's speeches. He wants two years to sort out the waiting list issue in our National Health Service. 
Whereas the reaction from individuals that work in the health service and patients and advocacy groups has been that we really need action now. There have been some really emotional stories that we're hearing across the UK, almost with a daily occurrence at the moment, people having to wait 24 hours for ambulances in urgent situations. I read yesterday that the average wait for an ambulance now is up to 90 minutes and the target is 18 minutes. So five times the target. And it really is a cocktail of issues for Rishi and and his government at the moment. You mentioned beds, Jack, since 2010. So when Rishi Sunak's party took power in the UK, the number of beds in the NHS has fallen from 125,000 to 100,000. The logic there was that all these efficiencies would be realised in the health service. Clearly that, that hasn't happened. I think there's an ongoing issue with COVID as well, which the public and, and health professionals are giving the government some let off for, but the, the situation is definitely worse than, than just caused by the COVID issue. Yeah, all great points. It's a pretty dire situation, isn't it, at the moment? And it, it doesn't look like it's going to be getting any better. There's so many people going on strike and the Royal College of Nursing, that's the RCN and the Ambulatory Service, have announced further strike dates throughout the month of January. This is going to affect London, Yorkshire, Northwest, Northeast and Southwest, so pretty much the entirety of the UK. So challenging and turbulent times ahead for the NHS and overall health perspective in, in the UK. And there are also some challenges in Scotland, aren't there, Ollie? Yeah, so the RCN in Scotland is also expected to announce strikes. And I think it's just worth us reminding the listeners, obviously we've been covering this for a number of months now, Jack, but this is the RCN's first ever strike in their over 100-year history, and they are demanding a 19% pay rise, which is a return to their inflation-adjusted pay in 2010. So their pay has fallen 19% since then, effectively. And the government at the moment is dismissing this as unaffordable alongside a number of other issues in the NHS. Jack and Ali, we're seeing such a similar workforce crisis situation play out over here stateside. One of the things that's dominated the news cycle in the healthcare industry this month has been the nursing strike that's happening across New York. And a good opportunity will come out of this not great situation that's happening in both markets to see how does each government, how does each healthcare system, how does the industry try to tackle this crisis and perhaps will offer us an opportunity to draw learnings and inspiration by seeing the different avenues that each healthcare market takes and what the the progress or the returns are. And, and Jen, you know, this is in the UK, the US and across Western Europe. And I think there's a number of headwinds that healthcare as a whole is facing in terms of aging population and patients with more complex diseases that require treatment over a number of years. Clearly, all health services are struggling to deal with those headwinds. So as you say, I think it's going to be a combination of technology that will enable us to, to provide better treatment to aging populations. But also, clearly, there is a huge worker shortage and there's a, a competitive international market now for healthcare workers. So definitely interested to see what the UK and also the US comes up with to attract talents and attract more healthcare workers to their market. 
just add one further thing into the mix that the government is exploring you know, some new legislation or new strike laws to ensure a basic level of service in the public sector that's been recently confirmed and essentially minimum levels will be set for the fire ambulance and rail services but this could indeed expand to other sectors including education furthermore 45,000 junior doctors have been balloted recently on whether to embark on strikes and that will essentially be all of the workforce essential within the NHS aside from consultants. So it's coming from all angles. We'll keep on top of this and keep you regularly updated as we have been over the last few months. But lots of interesting stories we covered today. But you know, to end on a high, I think going back to that inspirational story of Alyssa, you know, although we've got challenges within the NHS and the, and the healthcare service, we've still got great innovation that's happening within the UK that's helping people like Alyssa. And we've, we've, we've got amazing research and development capabilities and I'm sure we'll continue to go from strength to strength to to help patients and improve their lives through these developments. Thanks Jack and Ali for taking us through those top stories that are impacting the UK and the EU healthcare industry. We know that the only constant in this industry is change so I'm excited to hear what we're talking about next month and to your point, Jack, I really hope it's a lot more about the progress and advancement and a bit more good news. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.